0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast, by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here today with my colleague Kurt Levins, all the way from Pender Island, BC, where he watched the Oilers beat Winnipeg Jets 4-2 to on a Saturday afternoon game that uh, kind of was a bit of a roller coaster, wouldn't you say, Kurt?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I thought the Oilers were by far the better team over two periods. And uh, going into the five minutes into the third, I thought, I think this game's over. And of Mm -hmm. course, I should never say that out loud (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the Jets made it way closer than anybody would have liked. I still think the Oilers are full marks for the win. But there's a few things in that third period that uh, Jay Woodcroft and crew are going to want to tidy up.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely the the better team. I was shooting the Jets uh, 40 to 24. Our preliminary uh, count of grade A shots had an 18 to 14 for Edmonton, uh, an especially strong first period, actually. And then they st- they started to loosen up a little bit in the second and more so in the third and, and uh, allowing uh, chances against. But uh, uh, overall, the they were the better team on the night, even if they wound up having to kill off a too many men on the ice penalty with a one-goal lead and two oh five on the clock. How's that for a timely penalty? Yeah. Yeah. So in the same barn where they blew a three-goal lead in the third period of a playoff game last year, you know, I mean, maybe the team just sort of learns to forget about those things. But us poor fans, man, you know, yeah, what I know all I could see was visions of the <laughs> that penalty and everything that happened after it. Anyway. Uh, anyway, the name of this uh, podcast is uh, Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers. And Kurt and I are going to revert to an old tradition of when the Oilers win, of doing two good things each. So, uh, Kurt, I'm going to let you lead off. What's your first good thing out of that game?
1: Well, if it's okay, I'm going to tie my two good things together, mm-hmm. um, under one umbrella. Okay. Uh, and I, and I want to start off with, um, the uh, the Edmonton Oilers were were killing a penalty, uh, and the mm-hmm. and the pair of Zach Hyman and Ryan Nugent Hopkins comes on the ice. And I've written about this before, and I know you have too, Bruce. Right. I think they are by far and away the two best penalty killers on the team. Um, they're really smart players. They have really active sticks, um, and they seem to have chemistry together. Shorthanded. Um, so I usually feel good for the portion of the PK when those guys are on the ice. Uh, mm. but in particular, Nugent Hopkins with the aggressive play he made on the PK. Um, and it was, uh, it was a fight for a puck with Josh Morrissey right. uh, that ended up deep in the Winnipeg zone. And Nuge was so aggressive on that forecheck that he ended up forcing Morrissey into taking a penalty. Uh, so not only um, are you doing your job of keeping, keeping the puck on the other end of the ice when you're killing the penalty, but you actually force the other team into taking a penalty and negating the power play. So, yeah. so tick for Nugent Hopkins on there. That, that's, that's kind of a, a win-win for me. Yeah. Um, so I just thought it was a terrific play and an overall great defensive game from Nugent Hopkins, who I think is really in a groove right now, overall. Um, But here's where I connect my two good things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if Nugent Hopkins doesn't make that hard play on Morrissey, doesn't negate uh, the the Jets' um, power play, then you don't end up with the four-on-four situation, which they ended up in. And as we all know, uh, Leon Dreisaitl took that puck in the far right-hand corner around the net, drew two Jets to him, and then on the backhand threaded a pass through not one, but two Jets players and found Connor McDavid just sitting alone on the doorstep, and bang, it was in. Um, most NHL players would be challenged to make that play on their forehand, mm-hmm. um, let alone that sweet, silky dish on the backhand. My goodness, <laughs> just uh, I just kind of sat there with my jaw open for a minute. And you know, we've seen this from Leon before. We know it's something that's in his skill set. But I tell you, I never get tired of watching it. And uh, bang, bang, it was in. And I really felt the game, thought there was two major turning points in this game. One was the early five on three. And the other one was Nugent Hopkins negating the Jets' power play, which turned into the four-on-four goal by McDavid and Drysidle. So there's my one and my two. Okay. Things, kind of back-to-back.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, the... the um... The Nuge play, I mean, he made a great play at the defensive blue line just to take the puck out of the air and whack it ahead to clear the mm-hmm. zone. And then he turned on the Jets to force Morrissey to uh, 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 to take him down. So, that you know, it was a good defensive play followed by a good aggressive pursuit of the puck that led to that. And as for that Drysidle pass, I mean, Leon actually recovered the puck uh, in the left face-off circle in his own end. And he was under pressure, and he kind of pushed it to open ice, and he went and he recovered it, and he he pushed it again. He he took it eventually to the neutral zone on the right side board, so he got diagonally all the way across the ice by then. And then he he, uh, got it into uh, Winnipeg territory, and then he circled the boards all the way behind the net. So he didn't have the puck on a stick the whole way, but he was the only guy that ever had control of it for a good probably – well, I'd say over 200 feet because he basically did the width of the ice a couple of times and most of the length of it once and ended that sequence off. And it was, you know, sort of a struggle to maintain possession of the puck. But at the end of it, that absolute thing of beauty, that was that backhand pass that threaded right across the, the goal mouth onto the waiting stick of one Connor McDavid.
1: And, you know, I've watched that replay a number of times now. I didn't even see him shoulder check on that pass. He just knew that he should be there, and he was, yeah. right? So, And, you know, credit, credit to McDavid, not only pounded at home, but also, you know what? It's when really great players have chemistry together, they don't need to see one another. They do have that sense of where one another is. Right. And, you know, credit for McDavid for it may seem subtle, but he put himself in a really good spot. Um, and I guess if you're a Jets fan, you're you're maybe saying, I think our guys got guilty of puck watching a little bit, and I think that's probably fair too. Uh, but still, uh, to to make that the, to make the pass, that to me that was that was the whole the whole key to the sequence. So.
0: Now, when you got a magician with the puck on a stick saying, "Now you see it, now you don't," it's easy to get <laughs> transfixed by it. <laughs> absolutely. So there's, a, so there's
1: my two good things. Okay. Uh, what, what two did you uh, okay. go to? All right. What's well, pretty, yeah. Pretty okay.
0: We we talked about one other good thing for you too. We'll get to in a minute. But I'm going to start very early in the game with an absolutely key sequence where the Oilers took two penalties in 30 seconds in the uh, in the opening stages of the game. Uh, first of all, uh, Brendan Perlini took one for hooking and then Zach Hyman uh, took a careless penalty for uh, high sticking while on the penalty kill. And for a minute and 30 seconds, uh, the Jets had a two-man advantage in every every opportunity to put first foot forward in the, in the game. Well, 90 seconds later, not only did the Jets not have a goal, they didn't even have a shot, having to kill off the whole 90 seconds. And... It wasn't the usual uh, dry saddle as the, as the main three-on-five penalty killer. The Nuge was the guy chosen by, uh, uh, by, of course, the new coach, Jay Woodcroft, to do the bulk of that. Dry cleaned up maybe the last uh, 20 or 25 seconds of it. Uh, but Nugent Hopkins, to me, he and, well, Nurse and Cece, all three of them were great in that sequence. Uh, and especially Nuge, who twice got his stick on a pass that was going across the slot. And he didn't intercept it, but he disrupted it so that the one timer was taken away, that the the pass was going right to uh, you know Kyle Connor, whoever was going to let her fly. Mark Shifley, uh, you know, two deadly snipers that the Jets have in the opposite circles, and twice Nuge tickled the pass going over to them and 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 disrupted the one timer, so they just had to cycle and cycle some more. Uh, and then the third time, uh, Nuge again was involved in, in uh, interrupting a pass, and this time he deflected it, as I recall, to Nurse, who then cleared it down the ice, and that was the yep. key moment. And then they were able to get the change in, because by then, those those three guys were sucking wind, and then the dry-settle crew came over and cleaned up the rest of it. But uh, that was a absolutely crucial um, sequence by Edmonton to maintain and actually establish control of the game, and soon thereafter, referees, as referees tend to do, uh, gave Edmonton a chance on the power play, and their power play connected, and Edmonton had the lead, and they kept the lead the whole rest of the game. So that whole little little sequence on special teams of, uh, you know, just really a few minutes was, uh, was a critical turning point in this game. Would we
1: agree, Bruce, that um, six to ten games ago, uh, the mm-hmm. Jets would have got a power play goal there? Uh, if for no other reason than what I think I would describe as the fragile state of the team at that point in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably, but they, yeah, they looked anything but fragile there. They felt they killed that penalty with confidence. I really liked yeah. the, the job know, that they, they did there. Yeah.
1: And I, you know, I, I mentioned that Nugent Hopkins is such a smart player on the
0: mm-hmm. PK. I find his
1: anticipation is just so finely honed, you know, mm-hmm. like he knows a half second before something happens that it's going to, and it's uh Boy, it's fun to watch, and there's you know there's a few players around that like the league, but it's sure it's sure nice to to yeah. have one on your team, and it's uh I really admire his defensive play. It's a, it's a real pleasure for uh, for hockey fans to watch.
0: Yeah, he's the finest three C we've had in quite some time. Aye, a hundred percent. Finally right? <laughs> got him. Finally got him in that role. That Kelly Rudy. Uh, foresaw several years ago, too much derision from oil country. But uh turns including out Including for me
1: at the time, I'll admit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> turns yeah. out maybe, maybe he a, And when anyway, he did say in Rudy's defense, he did say Nuge would be a real good 3C. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I did hear the comment, as I say, I will agree with that. In Kelly Rudy's mm-hmm. defense,
1: he meant that as a compliment and not uh, everybody took it, including me at the time, but it right. was, what he said wasn't offside. I'm I'm prepared to admit that now.
0: <laughs> so we had pre-discussed uh, no, another good thing that that uh, happened very very late in the third period that caught your eye, Kurt. Yeah, and that's Cody Cece,
1: who I thought I thought he and Darnell Nurse were the Oilers' two best defensemen tonight. Uh, I thought Cece was oh, excellent. Um, uh, by natural uh, uh, stat trick, his his high danger scoring chances for against were three, four, and zero against. I don't know if that matches up with with your uh, Cult of Hockey uh, grade A chances numbers, Um, but I thought he he had pretty much a a clean sheet on the ice, uh, including five minutes, 44 seconds shorthanded. He carried a heavy load on on the penalty kill. Uh, But in particular, late in the game, not once, but twice, CeCe came up with what it would be fair to consider game-saving shot blocks, particularly the one given that it came off what I'd considered the Jets best player, Mark Shifley, mm-hmm. um, Shifley got the puck in the kill zone. And I I know, I I don't know you Bruce, but I took a deep breath in <laughs> when I saw the puck go to him, but you know, CC got down, got down low and got in front of it and blocked it. And I know Koskinen uh, commented after the game on that Did specific he? play, good, but the, good. but the, yeah, but the two shot blocks came back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I, I hearken back to when you and David and I did our did our midseason player grades. Right. And we talked about how I, well, I think to be fair, I think it was me that said, you know, I thought maybe Cody CC was a four coming in, but I think he'd he'd performed like a like a five and maybe a six. Um, I think we're seeing him maybe elevate a little bit past that um, and and back to back plays like that late in the game with the game on the line um makes you glad that he's out there in those situations
0: well i was sure glad he was out there in that situation you know that was that was enormous there was what 17 seconds or something on the clock it was really getting down into the very late stages it was still six on four and uh Edmonton was close to surviving the crisis but they needed w- at least one more huge play and they got it there from Cody Ceci.
1: Yeah, and as I say, mm. I thought he was excellent overall tonight and generally has been lately. So Okay,
0: my second good thing is uh going to be the man who largely dominated this game, Connor McDavid. I thought he was splendid mm. throughout and he he was flying along. He was uh involved in the first three Oilers goals that gave them uh gave them the uh the lead earning a uh, assist on the Hyman tip-in on the power play. Uh, he made a splendid play to send Yamamoto in close for a uh, uh, two shots, which Yamamoto buried his own rebound. Uh, did a nice job to recover his own rebound and pop it upstairs to make it two nothing. And then, of course, McDavid himself had uh, uh, um, was able to be on the receiving end of a good pass and put it home when when Drysaddle set him up for what became the game-winning goal. Uh, but that aside, I mean, I mean, obviously those are big plays. But there were other plays. I mean, there was one unreal move that he made in the slot and the power play, where he fired a backhand that whizzed over the crossbar. That <laughs> was uh, another one where he got loose right in front of the net and tried to deke Hellebuck right in tight, and Hellebuck had to slam the door on him. You know, and he was just skating well, creating, and I thought his his two way game was uh, was really strong tonight. Uh, if he made mistakes, they weren't obvious other than you may have detected him as being the culprit on the too many men penalty, which uh, I think uh, he I, was the guy
1: that jumped on okay. early, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's not good. But uh, that, that's one thing out of uh, many good things, and uh, uh, he was all that tonight. He was the best player on the ice. And games like this remind me of a little bit, I think, what we've been missing in, in December and January this year. And that is a uh, you know having McDavid on your team is like having a cheat code, mm. you know. You put him out there, and all of a sudden the whole game gets easier for your team because you got one guy who's faster than anybody else. He can move the puck better than anybody else. He, can, you know, and he 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 just has takes things to a whole nother level. And when he's on his game, which by and large is is you know more often than not, when he's on top of his game, uh, you know his chances of his His line out scoring and his team winning are are pretty good. And that he hasn't had those kind of impressions on as many games uh, during the middle part of the season as you might expect, but these last couple of games in particular. And tonight we had uh, shots on goal with McDavid on the ice at 5-on-5, 18 for the Oilers, 4 for uh, uh, Winnipeg. And that included one goal on five on five, and of course he was also on for power play goal and a four on four goal. So, I don't know he was uh, uh, he was a very positive difference maker in this game, and I would argue he was the difference in this game. Yeah, he will be getting know, I, the highest grade for me in the uh, upcoming player
1: grades. Yeah, I I would one hundred percent agree with that. You know he's when he's flying like he was tonight, he backs other teams up, right? You know, it's, yes. uh, and even the jets who are a pretty disciplined neutral zone team. Um, it's pretty hard to push back against that speed without the risk of really getting burned badly. And that that's maybe a, a, among the many things that his speed helps create. I think when you can back up a defense, that's maybe the most important of them all. Um, and I, and I agree his, his defensive game was great tonight, both he and dry saddle. I mean, that dry side will play, that diving play at the blue line, to yes. to, to clear the zone late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think if there's been a change in mindset on this team over the over the five games that Jay Woodcroft has been head coach, it seems like there is additional commitment uh, to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and, I, and I think when you start to to see that, and I generally speaking, I think both of those guys are good on both sides of the puck. But when you see those sorts of plays in the middle of February, uh, that tells me something a little bit different. Right on.
0: Okay, well, lots of good things. And i uh, do them first because most of the good things did happen first. Now let's move on to the bad things. We'll just do one each. Oh, there's one. So what's your bad thing? What's your takeaway?
1: Yeah, um, my bad thing is the shorty, the three-on-one goal. Um, and as as you know, I'm a Tyson Berry fan. I like Tyson Berry. Uh, he's been going through a rough patch, so I was really happy to to see him get the assist on on the power play goal, uh, to, you know, to to open the scoring tonight. Um, but on that on that shorty, twice, not once, but twice on that four minute power play, the oiler, uh, the Jets rather, got clear cut breakaways. Once a defenseman. <laughs> got in behind Tyson Berry and all the way. Went, yeah, went all the way down, Dylan did. And Miko to his credit made, made a real solid save on the move that Dylan attempted and stopped that one. Well, you know, okay, that's going to happen every so often on a power play, but not back-to-back. <laughs> and they, you know, when the score's 3 nothing, at that mm-hmm. stage in the game, um, if there's a 50-50 puck in the attacking zone and I'm the D-man, I'm coming off the wall and into the middle. Yeah. And I might not be coming off the line, but I'm backing right up to the line. Mm-hmm. Just to give myself an extra couple of strides. So if that puck pops loose, nobody's behind me. And at 3 0, you know when a pig's going to start. You mentioned cheat they have to. They're going to start to cheat. Any team would. Mm-hmm. And in, in that case, you don't need to score the four nothing goal. You know, uh, and the problem with that play was not only did it make the score three one. Not only did it give the Jets some juice, it gave the building some juice too. And I think we saw Winnipeg fed off their home crowd. And yep. and I, fair to say they had the momentum for the huge majority of the rest of the game. Yep. And I think it all of that led from that 3-1 goal where Barry, he's he's a veteran guy. He's he's smarter than that. Um, when you see that 50-50 puck, you've got to come off the wall and back up a couple steps and make sure, sure. – Nobody gets behind you. But the, the fact that it happened twice is like, come on, <laughs> you know. Uh, I expect better, and, hey, we won, so I don't want to dump all over them. But um, that, it's just, you know, someday that's going to cost them a point. Uh, yeah. They're kind of lucky that it didn't tonight.
0: Yeah, well, he had a pretty good game, you know. I mean, the boxcars say he had two assists and he was plus one, uh, Barry. Uh, one assist was uh, was a very cheap one but uh, the other one was a good point shot on the power play goal and that's what they yeah. saw in the power play for uh, but that late uh, p- power play four minutes with three nothing lead and uh, uh, Jack Michaels is confidently asserting that even if the Oilers don't score, they'll have a three-goal lead with eight minutes to play. And I'm going, yeah. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) I saw what happened to Team Canada in the Olympic gold medal game the other night when they gave up a shorty on a three-nothing lead. And it was white knuckle time all the way to the buzzer after that. And there we go again. And when they got the first breakaway, I'm thinking, you know, it's Brendan Dillon. So, I mean, uh, you got to think your goalie's going to make the save. And he did. But there's, there's absolutely no excuse, no excuse at all for it to happen a second time. And honestly, even I would I would criticize the, the coaches a little bit there for having just one very offensive-minded defenseman on the ice. And they were, you know, they were looking for that fourth goal. And they, mm-hmm. they had a few chances, but they couldn't beat Helleboot. But they just didn't mind the store. And with 3 nothing lead in the third, I mean, you either put two D-men out there or you put, you know, anyway. Yeah. It was, well, uh, <laughs> you know what? I don't disagree with that.
1: When you when you look at the when you look at the uh, at the sheet of ice as that play developed,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: had you had Kane and Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins and McDavid, all you know hash marks in deeper, right? Right. Uh, so in that formation, they've got the Jets outnumbered four three,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, so there is only one guy you have to shoulder check for. Right, <laughs> you know, so it's um, it's just that's a play that I guarantee will will be on the chalkboard with Jay Woodcroft because uh-huh. that's 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 not a physical breakdown, that's a mental mistake, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think it's fair to say with three nothing, you know, maybe that should be Nurse and Barry on the ice. I buy that, Bruce. I think that's a really I think that's a really smart uh, suggestion. But at the very least, one of your forwards in that situation has to make sure they're staying high too. Uh, but it's not like it was an odd man rush, right? <laughs> it was just one no. guy, and and Barry no. he skates well enough to be effective offensively, but he's not going to catch anybody.
0: Sure, not didn't even Brendan Dillon. No. <laughs> so, uh, our colleague David Staples, who was working with me on the scoring chances in today's game, uh, he pointed out to me that these mistakes by Barry were the ninth and tenth such uh, defensive errors that we've charged Barry with on the power play. This year, 10 mistakes for grade A chances for the other team. Yeah. And Bouchard and Nurse, the other two regulars on the penalty on the power player, semi-regulars, between them they had one. I can't remember wow. which one had it. But, yeah, one for the two of them, 10 yeah. for Barry. So, and Barry, David said, you know, he only had three all last year. So, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. he doesn't look like a confident player right now at all and mm-hmm. and
1: when you're not, you mm-hmm. you tend to make more mental mistakes than
0: physical mistakes. right. okay. well, I'm gonna expand on that bad thing just to I just thought the whole third period uh, the owners got a little bit sloppy and the just the first part of the third period it was like three nothing and and uh, we've got, uh, you know, everything's going our way. And I just thought they got a little bit soft and sloppy with their puck management and their play inside their own blue line. They started losing battles on the boards. They started not being able to clear the puck beyond their own blue line. Or on the occasions they did get it past the blue line, not getting it past center. You know, they flip it out, but Mm -hmm. a jet would be in the neutral zone. he would knock it down and come pouring back in. And they weren't doing a very good job of getting the puck 200 feet away and killing the clock a little bit. And so there were some signs, and Louis de Brusque was talking about this on the broadcast, and I was taught you know, even during the play, I am always have this running commentary with my wife, and I, you know, I don't like this, you know, they, they really got to start winning more of these battles in the corners and stuff, and a little bit of cursing, you know, and just <laughs> standard hockey fan watching uh, watching his team, you know, and getting a little... Uh, <laughs> a little <laughs> post-traumatic stress with this team that I think we all suffer from but you could sort of start to see the cracks starting to form and then that power play you think four minutes now this you know this should really stabilize things but it wasn't stable they they they, they went for it they tried to make it for nothing and it was just uh, was not uh they didn't execute in the offensive end and ultimately they didn't execute defensively. And then it was, then it was game on. Yeah. You know, um, I was watching this game with my wife too. And, mm-hmm. and,
1: it, and each of us have a common thing that we'll shout during a game when things aren't going well. Uh-huh. Uh, when Mike Smith leaves his crease, Kathy <laughs> shouts, get in your net. Okay. <laughs> and if you've ever met Kathy, she's like five feet, nothing, <laughs> but uh-huh. like get in your net. And mine, when the orders can't clear their zone is put uh-huh. it off the glass, boys. And there were, there were at least two examples in that series I think you're talking about, Bruce, where they had the puck on their stick under control and with more time than I think they thought they had and mm-hmm. didn't clear the zone either time. Right. And I'm with you. I saw a few others where they did punt it over the blue line, but it didn't get past center. And bam, it went right back in the Oiler zone again. So, yeah, it's uh, that, that fire drill of play didn't last that long, but it could have cost them a point.
0: Uh, Makes for a long 20 minutes when you're playing the half-ice game. That that third-period clock just rolls extra slowly, I guess. (laughs) It would be
1: interesting if we ever put your wife and my wife together in the room watching an Oilers game. (laughs) There might be fireworks. (laughs) See what they come up with.
0: (laughs) Uh She's pretty quiet. It's me that's doing the... Moaning and groaning for the most Generally,
1: part. Generally, Kathy <laughs> is too, but there's a few things where she doesn't mind speaking her mind.
0: <laughs> right on. So let's let's wind up with our numbers. And again, Kurt, you go first. What's your what's your numbers from? I have this, two numbers. I'm, I'm right. kind of I'm greedy today. I've kind of got two of everything. Um,
1: right. But my numbers go together. Uh, mm-hmm. My numbers are five and zero and twenty two and eight. Uh, mm. Five and zero is the order's record since Jay Woodcroft uh, became interim head coach. Twenty-two and eight is the goals for and against for the Oilers over the course of those five games. And when you are uh, outscoring your opposition twenty-two to eight,
0: you mm-hmm. got a real
1: good chance of going five and zero. <laughs> and it's uh, and while yeah. it's 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 easy and and right to pick on some of the things in their game that are still too inconsistent and not quite up to snuff. Um, overall, the last five games, I feel really confident saying the Oilers have been. Demonstratively, demonstratively better than their opposition over the large uh, portion of minutes over those five games. So, yeah, oh. twenty-two and eight, and mm-hmm. five and zero for our friend Jay Woodcroft.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to just read the row of numbers uh, by a player who I thought had an exceptional game today. Uh, he will be getting a, a, a grade of eight from me in this game, now. and that is defenseman Darnell Nurse. Uh, who the event summary said had a goal which of course was an empty netter from like 160 feet away with two seconds left It was just kind of like the cherry on top or the here's your reward Darnell for having such a good game because uh, I saw him as having an excellent defensive game one of the best games I've seen him having his own zone in a very long time uh, one goal one point plus three uh, 27 minutes and 42 seconds and 28 shifts comfortably leading the Oilers Uh, He played 2.28 as a secondary performer on the power play and 5.45 on the penalty kill, including that crucial three on five. Led the team in even strength uh, minutes as well, 19.29. Seven shots on goal to lead the team. Uh, Nine shot attempts, two hits, two giveaways, two takeaways, two block shots. Like he was involved in every aspect of this game. And I thought he was a tower of power. And uh, like I say, especially on the defensive side of the puck, very steady. One time a guy got behind him. It was, it was a dangerous Winnipeg guy. And, and Darnell just came from behind and just lifted his stick, oh. slipped the puck away and swung it in the play. corner. Yeah. And that was that. And you could say, well, he, you know, he got himself in a bad position. Well, he sure cleaned up the mess, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, and without taking a penalty in the process. Yeah, yeah, right? No, it was yeah. perfect. Uh, he just lifted the guy's stick and, uh, uh, who the heck was that? He was one was of the I'm trying to
1: remember who that was too. It was
0: yeah, it was one of one of the it was Connor maybe it was uh it was one of one of the more uh, uh, one of the more dangerous uh, jets anyway. And I've got he, it written uh,
1: down somewhere, but I can't read mm-hmm. my own writing.
0: <laughs> so anyway, I'll I'll just take that whole set of numbers and uh, i just to, for good measure sh- shots when Darnell was on the ice at five on five, uh, 14 to 8. For Everton, mm. so uh, a nice margin of uh, you know flow of play in Everton's favor. So good one.
1: Um, I had a couple other tiny
0: things from the nope. game that I, I'd like, like to get your thoughts
1: on. Mm-hmm. One is I thought, generally speaking, uh, I thought Miko Koskin was really quite good tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had no issue with the first goal and the second goal. That Connor, he's he is deadly from that spot, and there Sniper. was about a puck's width of room, and he hit it. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a shooter like of his quality, that goal. So I thought Koskinen, he was good enough for the Oilers to win, which when you're playing against Collar Hellebach, I, I think you'll mm-hmm. take that. Right. Yep. Uh, so that was my one observation. And then the other one is we've been talking a lot about how Jay Woodcroft has been so masterfully, uh, spreading the ice time around and the same for Dave Manson. That really wasn't the case tonight. Yep. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how that bleeds into the back to back game tomorrow. Because you know when you look at time on ice on the blue line, Philip Broberg only played 6:34. Mm-hmm. Up front, Brendan Perlini just 3:48. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Ryan 8:59, and Tyler Benson, who I thought was decent, just 9:10. So it was it was kind of back to the big horses. Like Drysettle played 24:49, and as you mentioned, Nurse 27:42. So mm-hmm. um, while we, while we have five wins for Jay, we really have four games of spread in the ice time round because they didn't really do that tonight. Although I guess to be fair, uh, special teams had a fair bit to do with that, especially for guys like uh, Perlini and Broberg and Benson, who really don't play in, in either um, right. power play or shorthanded discipline. So yeah.
0: yeah, Benson, he got, he got a fair look. Like he played way more in Perlini. then of course Perlini didn't help his cause by taking a penalty on his first shift. Uh, but then he came out of the box and had a great chance. Uh, couldn't bury it, but we didn't see a lot of him. But ben, Benson, I liked his game. He had two shots, two hits, and more than two good passes off the walls. He's really smart at winning pucks along the ball, uh, walls and both ends of the ice too, where he'll, he'll control the puck and he'll one look and he'll make a 10 or 20 foot pass to an open teammate and the puck will be Moving out of the zone or continuing on in the cycle, as the case may be, and, and yeah. uh, sure would be nice to see him put one in the net or get a couple of points because I, I think, think the, sure some of the some of the the, the uh, foundations of his game are very strong, but they're just not really getting rewarded. And
1: yeah, no, I agree, uh, I agree with that, and you know I think I I saw one for sure. I think two shifts where he was actually in Nugent Hopkins' left side. Uh, and you know it's way easier to produce when you when you're gonna when you're lined up with a player like Nugent Hopkins. Uh, so and you know you have to wonder if if one just goes in for him, you have to wonder how much momentum that gives his overall game because I agree with you yeah. the underpinnings of his game have been quite solid. Um, but at some point when you're in the NHL and you're a, and you're a forward, you have to score. Um, so 100%. we'll 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 see.
0: Now, well, this is the, the beauty of the eleven seven is that. Rather than being on the fourth line and playing with two fourth line plugs, to, to use the term, you got mm-hmm. one other guy and then the the, the uh, third forward on that line uh, cycles in. And today Benson played 346 with Drysdale, 301 with McLeod, uh, who he knows well from, from the past, 228 with Kane, uh, 207 with Perlini has nominal line made 155 with McDavid. 155 with Nuge. 140 with Hyman. I mean, that's a lot of skilled players that he's mm-hmm. at least getting, you know, a look with here and there. And as a strategy, I kind of like it. It just would be nice to see it pay off with, you know, some some crooked numbers under the goals and assists column. I thought yeah, under, I, I thought he had a sound game today, but
1: yeah, I I saw him the same. See, Evander Kane got a shift on the PK, and I and I thought did not look the least bit out of place. Um, Marcus Niemelainen, man, he's he's fun, right? That's just an element they haven't had back there for a long time. It's uh, he he's he's a. Better skating Andy Sutton. <laughs> it's like, here comes the train.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he does skate well, and he really closes the uh, gap fast when he decides yeah. he's going to step up and hit a guy. That guy doesn't mm-hmm. have a whole lot of time to get out of the way, and he, uh, uh, and he generally doesn't have a whole lot of space to get out of the way either because Linen fills it all. <laughs> it was Logan Stanley that, that uh, those two collided
1: in neutral zone <laughs> once. I think that shook the rink. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's going to uh, going to be a fan favorite, and thinking uh, of the fans, the Oilers fans, they get another one-game homestand tomorrow, where the orders come back and uh, and uh, play uh, a single game against the tough Minnesota Wild team, and uh, then they get a couple of days off, but make the road trip to the furthest point in the NHL two Florida teams
1: Definitely they'll
0: play next week, Florida, Tampa, and then on to Carolina. So uh, nice to have a couple of home games in there, but the way the schedule is this week, it's just like it's a five-game road trip where twice they happen to stop in Edmonton for one game. Yeah, you know, there's no sort of time to stay at home and rest or up. practice so, or anything, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah,
1: it's going to be a grind the rest of the way. But hey, they're in a good spot. You know, if you look at if you look at the standings, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're sixth in the West now, fifty nine points. Yeah, uh, and three points behind second place Calgary in the West. Excellent. So. What a difference five games makes!
0: Yeah, well, even you know, with all these games upcoming, as tough as they appear on the and sta- uh, the in the uh, schedule, they have banked now mm-hmm. ten points yep. in uh, the last what eight nine days, Huge. From last Friday to this Saturday, ten points in nine days, five zero and all. So, we'll take that. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks that. Uh, it's a, it's been a, a breath of fresh air for sure and mm. uh some very interesting coaching philosophy I've taken time to watch some of uh woodcroft's avails this week and he t- does tend to uh, uh go on for a few minutes like some mm. of them are you know eight 12 minutes even
1: but what of, an articulate guy. Some,
0: oh yeah yeah no it's, yeah. and you can really get the sense of the of the uh, uh of the of the structure and and his own foundation as a coach you know and, and uh and one of the things you don't hear much talk about, but which I personally love, is that he got his start as a video coach. Mm. He's three years in Detroit studying videos and preparing these snippets of stuff for players. And You can't help but start to pay attention to the details of the game. And I mean, obviously, he was already paying attention, to it, but that would finally tune your, your attention to detail, uh, which appears to be a real strong point of this, of this coach. And uh, just what that whole element of, of using the video, I mean, that's first nature to him. That's how he got to start. Mm-hmm. And built on that with some pretty, pretty sound fundamentals of human relationships, which is another thing that really impresses me about this this guy. He understands that these are flesh and blood humans uh, that that he's dealing with. And I'm not saying the other coaches don't. I'm just saying that nope. to to succeed in life generally, it's really helpful to... <laughs> To understand that, that you know, that's that's what you're dealing with. It's not like numbers and you know, all, all uh, in the computer somewhere or you're playing NHL 2022 on EA Sports. You know, this you, you've got to understand and build on the human relationships. And I get the impression very strongly that uh, uh, he excels at that.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I, I think you're going to get more or less the same production from your best players, um, mm-hmm. where I think perhaps his biggest impact has been is if I can put it this way, the bottom half of the roster, Mm -hmm. it just feels like those guys want to play for him. And I, and I don't think there was any lack of respect for Dave Tippett, but there seems to be something different in the air Mm -hmm. uh, with those, you know, bottom half roster guys. And I, I'm, we're certainly, I think seeing more
0: consistent contributions from them since he took over behind Mm -hmm. the bench. Well, many of them have played for him in the past, of course. And this is where he's got a cheat code of his own. that He's worked with mm-hmm. these guys. Uh, he knows them. They know him. He trusts them and, and understands what, where they can contribute. They, they in turn trust him. And there's a nice feedback loop there. But, you know, all these guys like uh, Ryan McLeod and Tyler Benson and all four of what I call in the Brat Pack on the blue line that, you know, were regulars in bakersfield for you know entire seasons or big chunks of time with him and dave manson and so that he's got a running start at it because yeah, I mean, I, he's worked he's worked more with those guys than dave
1: Tippett ever did oh no absolutely i agree although it's interesting you know the wine guy, one guy who it seems he's really clicked with or connected with is derek ryan when you listen to derek ryan talk about how he sees things today boy that. it seems like two different seasons doesn't it
0: sure does well, yeah. sure in, in fairness, uh, full disclosure, the first guy who did move Derek Ryan to right wing where he's finding success now was That's Dave. Dave, Dibbit. right? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just the last five games. It's like the last 10 games that he's played right wing. And so yeah. Woodcroft just left him where he was, but obviously getting better results. Yeah. You know, it's possible Derek
1: just isn't a good enough skater anymore to to, yeah. to play that heavy role that he was playing at center. But he, he was always a lot smart hockey player. And you see a lot of those a lot of those plays seeping back into his game again at the wing, where mm-hmm. there's a little less on his plate, and he probably has a little less little a little more time too. So it's mm-hmm. uh it's been a good switch so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he I mean to 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 properly tag Derek Ryan who's who was put in a sort of a defensive role here, three C was kind of where he was uh, you know was moved towards, uh, and even the press question him the other day of saying, well, you're primarily a defensive player. And I watched that and I'm going, well, no, actually, I think Derek's primarily an offensive player and he was in Carolina and Calgary, but he's been, you know, was pigeonholed with that job here like Kyle Turris was last year. And maybe that role just wasn't the right yeah. one for this player at this point in his career. Let him do what he's, what yeah. he does best. What's
1: that saying? Right acquisition for the wrong spot. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I think I think a lot of people have a lot of time for Derek Ryan, but mm-hmm. and I think by his own admission, I don't think he had played particularly no. well. But some of that is is linked to opportunity and circumstance too.
0: So, all right, well, let's leave it there, Kurt. I got to get back to writing the player grades for this yeah. game, but <laughs> uh, now I've got a good solid podcast to go with it. So I thank you very much for uh, for uh, filling in for uh, David today.
1: Yeah, happy to do so. And I always look forward to your game grades. So uh, I'll, I'll sit by with bated breath.
0: So. Okay, it'll be a little while. I'm slow, <laughs> but uh, It's are. all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Pat, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.